Hey everyone, welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. I'm totally stoked to be on here. My name is Ray Zahab, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to chat with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, uh, Rob, it's going to be great. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. Great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man. So, you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey, everyone. It's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? If I could, you know, finish a 50-miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. I am into it. Okay. I want to feel the pain of running for a long time. Welcome to episode 213 of the Train for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And we have a great episode. Ray Zahab is on. I'll leave it short and sweet for you. Big shout out to you, Patreon supporters. You've heard this episode. You get a sneak peek. At most of my episodes, couldn't do this without you guys. Really appreciate your support. Big shout out to Exoskin. If you haven't already, check out their toe socks, regular socks, compression gear. It's all super high quality. Check out the show notes for the best coupon available for Exoskin. They've been a huge supporter of everything I do. Big shout out to Tannery Outdoors. As runners, we spend a lot of time outdoors in the sun. It's important that we're protecting our skin. Tannery offers clean sun care products like SPF lip balms, mineral sunscreen, and thereafter sun restorative moisturizer. Tannery just launched a new product, which is their traditional sunscreen. This leaves zero white cast and is similar to the mineral sunscreen in that it is sweat resistant and packaged from recycled materials. This is a great company, high quality products. Definitely check them out. Check out the show notes for a coupon code for Tannery Outdoors. I mean, I can't wait to hear what you just did. Have you really shared this with many people? But besides like, you know, few social updates and whatnot? Well, yeah, I guess not really as much. I mean, it really was one of those sort of passion projects. I've obviously done things that are much longer. I've got a couple of these things, right? These projects that I've always wanted to really do, and then maybe they're not as long. Like I did this project, for example, in the Arctic in January 2020, which, trust me, is the most difficult time to go to the Arctic. And it was a project that I wanted to do geographically, if you can imagine this, because it'll be hard to find it on a map, but I ran from an island where I have some friends that live. It's called Kikiktarjuak, and it's off the eastern coast of Baffin Island. So it's its own island off the coast of a bigger island. And I always wanted to cross from the island of Kikiktarjuak across the Arctic Ocean there, that section of it. It's sort of like a part of the Davis Strait. And then go up this huge fjord that goes on forever and then cross Baffin Island. And I've crossed Baffin Island numerous times, but my goal was to tie this whole thing together. It's just something that I wanted to do, right? I mean, it's like, it's just a 
project that I really wanted to do. But I wanted to do it literally like in January when the sun was just cracking the horizon, you know, only a few hours of daylight each day, that sort of thing. So I did it. And it wasn't the longest thing I've done, um, but it was definitely one of the most difficult on a day-by-day basis. So this latest project I did across Death Valley was something sort of similar. I mean, you know, I, you know that I've, I've done numerous uh, projects in Death Valley, and obviously I've crossed many of the large, if not most of the largest deserts on the planet on foot. But there's something about I don't Death know. Valley. That Sahara that one so didn't special. get much press, though. Just throwing it no, out there. No, it didn't really. <laughs> it really didn't. It was a bit of, it was a bit of a bummer. But you know, like it, this. It's so in the Sahara. The Sahara is forty five hundred miles. This is not even close to that. This is like it's true. One hundred and thirty two yeah. kilometers. But one hundred and thirty two kilometers across Death Valley, pretty much at its widest point, one of the widest points, and it was. It it had everything. This project had a little bit of everything in it. Obviously, it had the heat of July. It was, you know, off road. Um, you know, we weren't on any pavement roads, but we did have some four by four track. We did have some gravel roads in the end. We had a ton of cross country, a lot of really tricky navigation in the mountains going through um, river washes and slot canyons. And so there was like a total mix of everything. So it was really an exciting project and it was an exciting project to do with a really close friend of mine stefano gregoretti who i've crossed the namib desert with which was like over a thousand miles and we've been across kamchatka and russia and winter and we've done all kinds of crazy stuff together so to go and do this together was a lot of fun can i can i ask you just a almost like a personal question here now i doing the triple crown of 200s you might even kind of laugh uh given what you've actually done over over your career thus far how do you get yourself excited after you run across the sahara or you you know you you do these giant giant epic kind of once in a lifetime things and i even middle of the pack like very very average type runner you know i do the triple crown well pandemic hit sort of the same time but I have, I, I still have a lot of trouble finding motivation in, in that, you know, that initial, uh, sincere excitement. Um, how, how do you find that? And it sounds like you did find that with, um, with this Badwater project, this Death Valley project. Well, you know what, first of all, um, the 200s are incredibly difficult. Anything that we, because, you know, my wife, Kathy, has done them not all in a row in the same way that you did, but she's done all of the uh, Candace's races, at, you know, in one a year sort of thing, right? And they're incredibly difficult events. And I think that, you know, for every one of us, whatever the challenge is that we're personally taking on, it's very relative to us as an individual. It's what we're experiencing in the moment exactly. and how we're experiencing it, right? So, I mean... I have before in the old days when I used to coach a lot of runners, I would have people that I would be coaching for their first 5k and they may as well have been climbing Mount Everest. Right. And that is a, a, a you know, it's a very real and true and experiential achievement 
for someone. So I always, first of all, always say that it's very relative what we're doing to us and, and, and what it is that we're doing about our goals at the time. For me, you know, you know, my past you know, up until I was 30, I was smoking a pack a day, blah, 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 not a very healthy guy. And then when I started doing these things, like I started racing my mountain bike, I was adventure racing, I was doing all that and then eventually transitioned into, um, ultra running. And I, you know, started racing all over the world. And I was picking these races that were, you know, had an adventure or a navigation aspect or had some sort of aspect of uh, difficulty, uh, you know, beyond um, the run itself, right? So, you know, the heat of the desert or the difficulty of the jungle trails in the Amazon, et cetera. I really like that. I like the idea of carrying a pack and all that stuff. But at any rate, when I'm, and I was always excited about doing that. And then when we ran across the Sahara, I think it was, and that was my very first expedition, quote unquote, it, it just opened my mind to what the possibility was of where we could go on our feet and the excitement of experiencing uh, remote parts of the world that way and seeing the places that I really wanted to see and experience in that way. So challenging myself in a different way, but in a way that was uh, very experiential, right? And so when I left the Sahara and then I, you know, decided that I wanted to go, for example, to the South Pole. And I did other projects in between the two. But then when I went to the South Pole, over the course of a little over a month, unsupported, um, it, it was just a completely different experience in a different part of the world and a different desert. And experiencing it in a different way, pulling a big heavy sled without any support. So I've never really lost excitement. So going into it, and I've been in Death Valley multiple times. I've done, I went north-south completely off-road in 2011, in August 2011 with Will Laughlin. Then I went west-east in 2019, July 2019 with Will Laughlin, across a narrower point, but a much higher point. We went over the Panamint Range, over 8,000 feet, descended down below sea level, crossed right by Badwater, went up through the Amargosa Range, through Sheep's Canyon, over 5,000 feet, and descended on the other side to the eastern border of Death Valley National Park, and among other projects. But I, I love that place. So even though I'm going back to the same place, the excitement is there to be in a different part of that wilderness and not know exactly what's going to happen. I love the unpredictability, or the unpredictableness, the unpredictable nature of being on an adventure or, or a longer expedition. But I also love discovering and seeing places that I already know in a different light. Like yeah. literally depending on the time of day or you know in a different topography etc so. oh my god people don't realize that like it, if you hit if you do the same race and it's long enough that you see light totally different like a sunrise versus a sunset like for me it was moab t40 oh it's totally different experience it's amazing it's like two different races you do the same race like five times in a row and if it's long enough and, and the light is different enough and your performance is different enough like it's it's a unique experience each time obviously but well, I, I Moab, totally agree Moab, oh. over the course of the you know 240 miles 400 and some odd kilometers of that race you're experiencing different 400, eco zones 401 you know, 
Okay. 401. 401 <laughs> excuse me. And you're experiencing, you experience so many different, you know, eco zones, if you will, or ecosystems. Yeah. You have high alpine forest. You have desert. You have everything. It's really an incredible place, Utah. So therein lies yes. an adventure. And to be truthful, I mean, you don't really know if you're going to be able to finish when you get into it. And I love totally the aspect of being on these expeditions or these adventures. And I love the the, the um, challenge of navigation. I've always loved figuring my way across these places and trying to read the land or learn. Maybe if I'm in a place where there's indigenous peoples about the land Ray, and then employing I, that knowledge. I, I'm know? going to ask you like one or two questions and I really want to hear more about your Death Valley experience here. So this is a totally random question. Basically, I'm throwing this out for my seven-year-old son. But um, have you watched Expedition Unknown with Josh Gates before? I'm. J- this is so random. It's not even funny. I, I think. I think I have. Like he He's, used to. He used to host another show. I think it was like Monster Hunt or something like that. And all, go ki- all kinds for, like, of like. I think it's. I think it's Discovery stuff. Channel. I don't know what it is. Yeah. He, uh, honestly, his recent stuff. My son and I were watching him dig up stuff in Egypt. Um, but he's part of. I want to say like uh, an adventure club. I, I can't remember the exact name of it. I should have prescripted my question. But have you thought about working with someone like that? That I want to say um, it is part of adventure, um, like through a different lens, obviously trying to tell some of the history. Have you thought about your capabilities on foot? to team up with someone like a Josh Gates who like if you team up you could hit sections that are not accessible by 99% of humans and so you can almost tell a history that's not tellable if that makes any sense like yeah, most it's, people it's... can't go 3 days straight through a desert to tell a history I think it's a huge opportunity. Well, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, you know, I've been very fortunate over the years to work with Discovery Channel and to work with different content creators um, to tell the stories of the people. Like, for example, when I crossed Mongolia, the Gobi Desert in 2013, we shot a short documentary about that. But further to that, we shot daily footage. It was a long expedition. It was over 2,000 kilometers. And I was running across it in July, the middle of summer there. And um, we told the story of the entire desert through a a couple of really talented filmmakers who every day would shoot content. And then we would edit that content and in the field and then upload it by satellite to a live website where schools and others could tap in and view the content as the expedition unfolded. So it's not dissimilar to what we do with Impossible Possible when we take young people on expeditions of their own. And then educational material is combined with the expedition to teach about the place. And then of course we create all the content and everything else. But I have in the past worked with some amazing 
content creators to tell the stories of the places that we're in. And this Ellesmere expedition that I've been working on, I was there last year. Literally, we were in the remotest part of the world. And um, we'll be going back, obviously, this winter. And that that is a very long and logistically complicated film project that we're working on. So we're really excited to tell that story. So it's you're, you're bang on. I mean, it's exactly the sort of stuff that we have done in the past and that we strive to do. It just always depends on, you know, uh, it, the environmental capability of shooting, you know, and accessibility of, of shooting in some I, places. I, I, again, I apologize. I, I don't know if it's Adventures Club, Explorers Club. Oh, yeah. He some... would probably be part of the Explorers Club. I think it's an American organization. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. And then, I'm assuming uh, you're part of it. Come on. No, 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 no. no. I no. actually, I'm a, I'm exploring residence with the Royal Canadian Geographic Society. And wow. so I do nice. a lot of stuff that's um, based around geography um, as, as an explorer and, and uh, you know, connecting. Obviously, that's that's my number one. You know that about me. That's my number yeah. one goal is to connect, whether it's my expeditions or our youth expeditions, connect them to classrooms. And so that's super duper critical to me. I just so I had to throw out the really question. Well. I know yeah, I, it. I know it's random, but. I feel like anthropology and archaeology meets ultra running or like exploration where normally people just can't get to to even explore the archaeology or anthropology, whatever the situation may be. I I think it's like there are opportunities out there and and your name comes to mind first for doing that. You know, what's really interesting about that. Like. So when I crossed the Atacama Desert in um, 2011, when I was I was running north to south about 800 miles, and when I was somewhere probably maybe a, the first third of it, I started seeing the pictoglyphs, like picto pictoglyphs, pictographs. I don't know if I'm getting that right. Yeah, uh, on like on on, on the walls of stuff. of like yes. stone and stuff. Yeah, like, dude, random drawings that were out in the middle of nowhere that for sure nobody's seen for i don't know thousands of years maybe because there'd be no reason to go out there maybe tens yeah they're just and and just being in the right place at the right time episode one episode one right there as long as you didn't hallucinate it (laughs) exactly exactly. well that's that's in my case a very strong possibility (laughs) (laughs) all right so I appreciate you you toying with those ideas because uh, I I love your connection to Hollywood and and storytelling in general and sharing your experience with not only guys like me that will you know watch the film but then the students and and just inspiring curiosity whether it be by foot or however it may be I think it's beautiful so keep doing that seriously. Uh, so you're running across the Sahara. Is that influencing the desert task, the, the desert expedition project uh, across, you know, parts of Badwater, Death Valley? Like, is there any part of those two that are connected that you just it like soothes your soul and, and makes this project that much more enjoyable? 
I mean, I in my well, head it, it's connected, but maybe it's totally not. I, I have no idea. Yeah, you know what? It's it, 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 there's something there's something there. You're right because when I'm in these places, I was recently back down south on a separate project, and I was with my buddy Bob, who you know we we started Impossible to Possible together in 2008, and we've been doing stuff together ever since. And I was with him. He lives in California. We were out in the desert. It was hot, and I said to him, "Man, I just." I just love that smell of the desert. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. And we were reminiscing about places that we've been together, whether on youth expedition or him supporting and doing logistics with some of my projects and how we could reminisce through, you know, being in the desert in California and sort of getting those same sensations and smells and everything else and saying it's just something amazing about it, you know? And so is there a connection point between, for example, that first desert crossing, the Sahara, and the most recent across that valley? And it would have to be something like that. There's just this un, uh, but in the same, it's it's the same passion that I have for these extremely cold places. I don't really like the cold that much. I'll be brutally <laughs> honest with you. I find it brutal. I really do. And I'm Canadian, and I find it just so hard to deal with the cold. But if you have the right gear. And you adapt over time, you get used to it. But being in the Arctic, like there's certain things. I'm guiding a group of people in the Arctic this September. And I know when I'm there, there's going to be certain smells and certain ways that the sun hits the rocks. That it's going to remind me of my own expeditions in the winter. And memories that I have of this place that I'm so connected to. So... There is a connection between the Sahara and that place in the same way that there's connections between, you know, being in the Canadian Arctic and doing expeditions in Siberia that I once used to do or being in Antarctica or whatever. I love it. So, you know, there's something there for sure. I I love the fact that of everything you could correlate there, it was smell. Because only someone that truly experienced that could make that connection. That's like, that's not something you can pre-script. Like, that's amazing. Um, yeah, but I also, I also have a giant schnoz. Have you ever seen any photos of me? Where, like, what's the worst smelling uh, place you've ever run in or adventured, uh, explored? That's a good question. Because I got to tell you, like, there's some places that are just <laughs> extraordinary. Like, the, like the Amazon. <laughs> no, I'm serious. The Amazon has an amazing smell that is unforgettable. Good. Good. Well, yeah, it's kind of yeah. like a mix between rot and wet and like super green smell, like whatever, like fresh and all at the same time. It's a strange thing. And, and here where I live in Quebec, in the summers, it gets really humid. Like we can have days where it's 100% humidity and you're on the trails and everything is like super lush and green and the leaves from the fall before are on the ground rotting. And I'll say to my daughters, we'll be out trail running. I'll be like, oh, my God, stop. Smell that smell right here. This is exactly what the Amazon smells like. I'm telling you guys, this is exactly what it smells like in the Amazon. And so, you know. They just blast forward and then you have to, like, sprint to catch up because they're crushers. They're just gone. gone. (laughs) They don't even, you know. They're awesome, It's just ridiculous. And, you know, but, but, you know, so, but the worst smelling, I mean, I don't really have any 
you know, I'm sure there's stuff. I mean, I've come across I don't know how many dead animals out on trails. I mean, that uh, doesn't smell very good baking in the heat. But I can't really think of anything in particular. So for me, Ray, it's uh, like when I go above. It's normally like February, March in Colorado, where you go above treeline. Place like Pikes Pikes Peak. There's a smell that I just, for whatever reason, it just smells like mountain lion. It smells hmm. like a den of a mountain lion, and it freaks me out. It's like just dry enough. It's just it's a weird scent to me in my head, and I'm maybe I'm totally wrong on that, but I feel like uh, there's a weird scent to me that freaks me out. It smells, and I've never seen a mountain lion in person yet, luckily, but oh, it's at least in my head, it's like you hit certain areas where it's rocky. There's a bunch of little kind of cave areas and. You just get a scent of mountain lion for whatever reason. I don't even know what that smell should smell like, but hmm. that's interesting. It, it, yeah, it's very distinct in my head. Hey, did I Ma- tell you about those? Uh, speaking of mountain lions, did I tell you about the? I don't know if I told you this on a phone call or not. That when we were on Ellesmere last winter, last day of this expedition before we had to turn back, and we saw these three Arctic wolves, and we were in an area where literally. I mean, these Arctic wolves have never seen people, right? Oh, and these three Arctic wolves came just cruising right on down by our camp while we were there. Just huge, eh? Huge. How, how big? How big? Like big. Big. I can't remember the exact like size, but big. Like, I, like I've seen five feet tall, four feet tall? Uh, well, it, you know, the much bigger, like twice the size. Man, is it twice the size? At least a German shepherd and a half. Yikes. Maybe twice the, twice as high. Their legs are really long. They're kind of freaky looking, actually. Yeah. Arctic wolves. But um, yeah, that was recent. And I and I uh, in Death Valley where we just were. So I've seen a million times. I've seen um, bobcat tracks out there, right? And you see these bobcat tracks. I mean, they're pretty big. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, but you're thinking, yourself, oh, geez, you know, that's like it's it's big enough. The pop track. I have tons of photos of bobcat tracks in Death Valley. And this time we're, we're in the middle of the valley, about halfway across this transect of Death Valley, middle of the night. And Stefano says, we were in these dunes. And he's like, hey, dude, there's a bobcat following us. And I shine my headlamp back and I saw what looked like, I mean, it was kind of hard to tell the scale. But honestly, it looked like, like a giant house cat, like a big house cat but with really big paws. And I, and I stopped <laughs> and I said... That's like a guy walking around in the woods with like a Bigfoot track, <laughs> yeah. you know, and he's pressing Bigfoot footprints into the trail. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it's I do. The craziest, it was the craziest like the looking thing. Total opposite like, of those me? Arctic wolves that you saw. Yeah, like, I mean, it would be like if the Arctic wolves had these tiny little feet, you know, it would be like the same. It was just crazy. Anyhow, uh, there it was. It was I amazing. love bobcats. I've never seen a, bob- I've never seen a bobcat. I've seen a million kinds of wildlife, but I've never seen a bobcat before. I mean, I'm I'm from Ohio University, but ironically saw one in Tampa, Florida, and they're beautiful. I I love large cats. I mean, such a beautiful animal. And I mean, it it sucks that they're basically all becoming extinct at this point. But uh, Mm. we'll move on from there. Uh, What? 
I mean, seriously, though, what is your thought process going into Death Valley? Because I've had that thought process just to go pace someone for bad water. And it like literally my family's like, please, please be safe. We don't want you dying. Uh, and having been there, I mean, if, if you're out in the middle of nowhere and your car breaks down, it could be serious. I mean, you're you're pushing this to uh, a whole different level, though, doing your own your own project through it. I mean, well, we were, tell me more about we, the backstory. And yes, then I, I want to hear about you going in there and yeah, got to hear so all we, the good stories, you know? Yeah, for sure. So so the way we plan is so Bob and a buddy of mine uh, named Tucker from um, Los Angeles came out to crew us. And essentially the way it would work was we'd use a combination or if we couldn't meet up with them, we'd either have a cash, a water resupply, or we would meet up with them and they had a four wheel drive and they would meet up with us. And our route, if you will, was going west to east and they would meet us on legal roads because you can't drive off road in Death Valley. It's national park and obviously it's a fragile, very fragile environment. Your car can't get out. (laughs) Well, yeah. yeah, And and you just destroy the landscape. Right. And so, so they, you know, they, they were using legal roads to access us, which ended up being, around every 20 miles or so we would meet up with them sometimes shorter sometimes longer so that was sort of the easiest way so we planned in our minds okay we need to be able to go in potentially 120 degree heat through the mountains uh off-road completely cross-country navigating and we need to have enough water and supplies to go 20 miles at a time more or less and we need to have a contingency if, for example, we were in navigating through a series of these narrow canyons, which are very steep, you can't climb out of them, and you run into a pile of uh, like a rockfall, or you run into, you know, maybe there was a flash flood and it's just filled with debris and you can't get out, right? So you have to go back from where yeah. you came and find another way around. So you have to, you know, be prepared for all of that so prepared for 40 miles essentially it could be it could be or maybe you go all the way back to where you were like i mean there's just a there's a multitude of things that could potentially go wrong so you try to plan contingencies for every single one of those things and know what are the adjacent canyons what are the various um you know uh what are the decisions that we can safely make if we're in a in a bad situation so you're like Everything seal is, team six here like you're really no, 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 no. if we really aren't it's just we're really well planned you're really well planned yeah. yeah that's exactly the point like you're yeah. you're not like just randomly doing stuff here no no we're not just showing up and going we're planning and we've been planning the route for quite some time and then um you know and planning a route that would be as well interesting as a segue because the entire time that we're out there we're shooting videos clips taking photos and tracking weather data for a future impossible to possible uh, youth uh, program as a module. When we do our next youth expedition, okay, where we're taking these kids on the next youth expedition next year, our Death Valley trip will be integrated into one module of their expedition, if you follow me, and it's going to be about desert environments. So we were collecting all of the 
the resources to create that module. You're like a science teacher, but you also have to be an endurance athlete. You know, we're just trying to get all the right footage, data, photos, so that we have a compelling story to tell students so we don't they're not completely bored with us right so we want to have something really cool so we're i wish every that. teacher in the world yeah. heard that like that that's key like well we keep these kids know, engaged <laughs> yeah and they'll be they'll be super uh, excited to follow for sure the next the next youth expedition which is going to be really exciting so so at any rate so we're out there doing this and so you're 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 planning that so the risks are there obviously but we're trying to mitigate that risk with really good planning and that's sort of that's sort of the way it works you know bare bones and then you know then there's the unpredictables so for example um we were uh, almost 70 kilometers so 40 some odd miles uh, across and um we would have to cross this alluvial fan of rock from the west side of death valley to get down into the valley so we descended from these mountains from over over seven thousand feet, and we descended down into the valley, and um, to to sea level, and um, this alluvial fan sat at about I think it was about fifteen hundred feet. So we would go. What what is that? Feet. I'm I'm sorry. Well, it's like it's like a fan of rock and debris okay. that spread out from the slope of these mountains. So it can yeah, be the source. Yeah, and it can be something like in the Arctic, they're from their deposits of receded glaciers. It can be from volcanic uh, activity. There's different ways that these alluvials can be created. But if you were to look at it from a distance, it looks like a perfect fan, like mm-hmm. a like a you know like a fan you would fan your face with, like a fan. But it's all rock, and it's 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 widest point is out in the middle of the lowest point of the valley. So we had to cross this giant pile of rocks, which is just this huge jumbly mess of rocks, which literally you'd be moving um, a half mile an hour through because it's just so messy. But there are these flash flood um, river washes, like stream washes, if you will, that run through the middle of this alluvial fan. But of course, they're they're zigzaggy and they can go all over the place and they can shoot off in the wrong direction. They can cause turning into like a lattice of yeah, there's like possibilities. There's these, there's these, exactly, there's like <laughs> endless possibilities. Well, we decided to commit to our bearing that we had that we knew we needed to do for the next twenty three or so kilometers before reaching our next resupply of water and food. We would actually meet up with Bob and the team. So we said, okay, well let's just take we'll jump out of these river washes when we can we'll stumble our way through the rocks when we have to and we'll just keep grabbing these washes that are staying as close to our bearing as possible going downhill from 1500 feet to below sea level and we got into this second wash so i think it was the second one we got into and dude it was just we got lucky it just basically went straight down into the valley six months six kilometers Straight down. So that saved us hours and hours while we were out there because we had anticipated in the planning process that this was going to take X amount of hours. But as luck would have it this time, it doesn't always go this way, but as luck would have it this time, we were able to make really good time with it. Is, isn't that what they, they teach in Zen? It's like the easiest path is like just 
feel like water and, and take the easiest path down. Like it, yeah, it almost feels natural, it, right? Like it does. Oh, you're, and, uh, you're you literally right. that would, that followed would the path of water. <laughs> yeah, you you. But you know the problem was in the beginning you've got twenty to choose from. You know, because they're yeah. all going downhill, oh. right? And so it's like picking the right one. I've done these things before where I've picked the wrong one. You know, and then it just takes forever. And what you're are climbing you, out constantly and then what, going what you, into the next one. What yeah. are you thinking? As you, because I've done like lava fields and, and that kind of stuff. And it's like, a lot of times, just focus on one rock at a time. If you have to hop rock to rock. Um, are Like, where, where are you mentally as you're going through these expeditions? Are you thinking about each footstep? Are you looking out at the greater picture? Are you taking in all the smells? I, I don't know what, what you're thinking here. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what I'm thinking. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely concerned about making a wrong decision, you know? Um, so that's definitely um, something that I'm considering, you know? Um, but am I... Yeah, it's it's a it's a, you ask a really good question, and I don't know exactly what the answer is, you know. Um, but I I can tell you that there's a tension there, right? That I'm nervous about making a bad decision. If that makes any sense. Right, how many people are you with? Oh, just me and Stefano. So it's it's you two. So it's not the pressure of of one of your kind of group led expedition events it's like you have someone at least checking your thought process against what you think is rational yes exactly. um, like the, so that's like healthy in, in, that's that's is, safe yeah totally so in an environment like death valley you know in the summer um, because that's that is the hinging component right there like i've done projects with clients not in the summer and it's a much more hospitable and enjoyable environment as one can imagine, you know? Um, and, but at the same time, um, you know, you, you, you mitigate risk. And so I've done Arctic projects. Stefano and I can, I, you know, I don't speak Italian and, and his English is rough, right? <laughs> so we can communicate because we've done thousands of miles together in really difficult situations. I mean, we have been in some bad situations together where both of us have almost lost our lives. So we know how to work with each other and for the success of a hopeful success of a project, right? And going into a place like Death Valley in the middle of the summer, when you may not have these second chances, you want to, or I at least, want to be with someone that I completely trust and he completely trusts me, you know? Yeah, totally. I I think it's beautiful. I think that's how I pick a pacer like for a 200. Cause I know that I might think that tree is a person. Uh, so I want to trust someone. Absolutely. Um, it sounds like you're doing the same thing. Totally. Right. You know what? So, I mean, walk me through the the eureka moment that you had some some luck and you're you're getting to that next point and it's that wash is 
out of the 20 different options, you selected the right one and you're dropping down. I mean, walk us through the, the next part of the story. Are you running, well, by the way? Or are you hiking the whole like the whole way? Are you walking? Are you sitting so on rocks running? like I would? No, no. I, I'd sit on rocks and complain a lot most of the time. No, there's no sitting on the rocks up there because there's <laughs> scorpions everywhere. I mean, they're literally, I mean, these friggin' scorpions. It's ridiculous. They're everywhere. But, uh, you know, I, um, you know, my adrenaline, because I'm navigating this section and my adrenaline is jacked because I really get so much out of things going right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it really gets my heart rate starts getting jacked and stuff because I'm just so stoked. So crazy stoked that 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 piece that I thought for sure I'd been dreading completely worked out smoothly. And you get into this sort of rhythm where you just it's like almost like being in the zone and I navigated the rest of that way, basically on the position of where the moon was, it was a very bright night with the moon and the shadow of the moon as it set over the mountains behind us, I was able to position ourselves and I just kept hammering in the direction and didn't use any navigational devices, did, you know, for did, the next 20 K. At that moment, did you know your position in the universe? Everything well, kind of, makes sense no, right I, yeah i just that's how I, I you know yeah i just felt like everything was just in a flow a state of flow and it was coming together and it was just it was just one of those amazing moments you know? are you are you hustling is there like a time parameter here or is it enjoy it take it in and in, in that sort of aspect yeah Totally, because the skies are incredible. The, the place is extraordinary. I'm fortunate to get to do what I love to do. I'm in this place, so and things are working out. I'm programming, tattooing on my brain that moment so that I will never, ever forget it. Right? So that's what's going through my head. Get it? I mean, get us... Get us forward here. I, I got to how, how far have you progressed and, and like, tell us how well, far do you, it, how far so do you have next, to go and, and walk so, us through the project? So by the time we had completed, uh, crossing the Valley and the sun was like the moon had set, the sun was just starting. You could feel morning coming, met up with our crew. We sat there on the ground basically for 10 minutes and fell asleep and then spend another 15 minutes eating some soup and, you know, filling up all of our hydrations. And then we headed up. We were, it was like the sense of relief because we were like, okay, now we're on a four by four road for the next four wheel drive road for the next 20 kilometers or whatever, right. Going up this next mountain. So all we knew all we had, we could turn our brains off. All we had to do was climb this mountain on this road. Which was physically difficult at this point because our bodies were so beat up. But it you said you had a pacer. You're on Jeep road. You don't have to think, exactly. right? Totally. Yeah. You just yeah. you just follow. There's no navigation. There's no navigation, and I I just can't even describe. It's not just the point of compass or point your GPS and go. 
when you're in a place like Death Valley, there's no straight lines. Like you're all over the map because there's always an obstacle or a terrain obstacle or something in the way. You're that's paying attention why you, for rattlesnakes. That, that's why you like the you desert know. right there, right? That's right. why you like you know, it's I, a challenge. Well, I certainly love the challenge, but you know, you're bushwhacking, you're watching. Look, we were in dense bush up in the mountains, up on the western side, like dense bush. And we're, you know, you don't want to get bit by a rattlesnake, and rattlesnakes are out this year in Death Valley, they were saying. So, you know, we're trying to be super careful, right? And so you're, you're always worried. We get out onto a four by four road, we're not worried. We're just moving, right? And so all we needed to do was move and keep moving. And so, although we were really tired, obviously, we kept moving. And then we, once we got past it, which was, I got to tell you, the sun came up. What a beautiful, beautiful path that was to the mountains because the scenery was spectacular. And then we had it off road again at the, you know, the height of afternoon, the height of heat. And then we went back cross country and it was quite bushy. I posted some photos from it. It was pretty thick. Um, you know, for the first 5K, it was very thick. You're stepping over bushes all the time and you're trying to, you know, just again, be very aware of what's around you. Um, and um, we carried on from that point cross country and then on to a double track. Um, and then from the double track, a little bit across country, a little more double track. And then we reached the far eastern end of Death Valley out of the state of California over in Nevada. So we were in Nevada by this point. We crossed into Nevada at some point during the night, I think. Or, no, sorry, during the day in the early morning. And um, finished in Nevada on the eastern edge of Death Valley. I mean, when you're 10 miles away from the finish of, of this project, are you... I mean, many of us that do longer races, like it's almost a sadness that comes over you because you know you're there. You know you finished you just got to put one foot in front of the other and, and get it done. Uh, there, There's no more variables to like overcome, really, like in most cases. Like, are you feeling sad? No. Or, like, are you thinking ecstatic excitement to share the stories that you just overcome? Like, what, what are you thinking going into kind of your last day there? Well, I just don't. Uh, you know, because we just went straight through, right? We it was nonstop. It's not like uh, being away forty days or thirty days crossing the Nanda Desert. Um, you know, it was the same sensation I always get with any project that I do is that thinking, "Wow, this is something I really wanted to experience," and reminding myself as we're finishing and wrapping up not to forget or lose appreciation for the place that I was just in. Right. And so I try to remember, like, like really remember viscerally certain moments on that trip. And there are certain moments on that trip that I'll never, ever forget. Tell right? me about the best, the, the best memory. The, well, I, the I, one I, that I, spoiler, it just I sticks. Already did. I mean, it was the, it was the crossing of that valley in the middle of the night and just feeling so it just it, like there's everything in just the, the right state of flow. Everything just felt so good. I mean, that would be a highlight, but I think also, um, you know, uh, being with Stefano after so many years of, you know, lockdown and everything else that was, was going on, I haven't seen him in years, right? It's the first time we've been together in years and since 2020, uh, the last time we were together was when we guided a group of clients in Siberia, 
um, in uh, early 2020. So it was so great to see him again. I mean, just having that, you know, brief uh, interlude of friendship was amazing. What, you know? what was the one thing he said that no one will ever know that either was like most profound or the funniest or both? Uh, Those aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 like, was there one or two times where you, like, you guys kind of looked at each other and then like either laughed or had a profound I moment? Just, dude, that's like, that's like every five minutes we're trying to do it. <laughs> make the other person laugh, but I mean, laughing at really stupid shit. I mean, immature stuff, of course, always, but well, let's I, keep it yes, appropriate. Go yeah, on, Ray. And this, then forget there's nothing. We, this conversation, let's move on to the next question. um i mean so were you able i mean tell me uh like you you keep going back and forth from like the absolute most cold conditions on the planet to the absolute hottest what's going on there like what these are just the places that i love you like the extremes i I love being being the but Dude, why? This, why? Like, for example, in the summer, in that heat, the color of a desert sky, position of the sun, in the in the summer, you know, the height of summer, the position of the sun, the position of everything is everything's different. It's just different, and that superheated sky that's got dust up in it, and it's warm, and the sun is setting, and it's like this pinkish purple hue. I love being in the deserts in summer, but I also love being in the Arctic when it's first morning. In other words, just when that sun is cracking the horizon and as the days start to get longer in the Arctic, I am telling you that like you as a filmmaker know what magic hour is. Well, it's like magic hour the entire day. It's just, just extraordinary. In the I Arctic. distinctly it's, remember last time we we recorded a, a podcast episode talking about that. That visual stuck in my head, which is rare to take it from audio to a picture in my head. But I, I distinctly remember talking about that. Um, I mean, you, you've joked that um, I'm, I might uh, visually uh, re- like be somewhat similar to Leonardo DiCaprio. Post your new post your new profile pic tomorrow. Let uh, the people <laughs> die. Okay. Let the people die. I, I was I was really hoping Ray would get, get did, Leo did on to do the intro, other, but other people other people must have said that to you before. No, I, I got that a lot, especially Ryan Clayton <laughs> took a photo of me during the triple and I was as fit as I will ever be. And yeah, no, I definitely have received that before. Um, <laughs> I get Jack Black when I'm out of shape. Um, don't tell anyone. <laughs> uh, but l- let's say either Jack Black or Leonardo DiCaprio has a private jet available to throw Ray on to go do your next project. Where in the world would you pick if if you literally had unlimited funds, resources? You can go anywhere in the world. Where, like, literally, where would you pick and why? Well, there's a, there's a couple of places, projects that I still want to do before I feel like I can't train to the level that I need to to be able to do these things in the way that I want to do them. 
So I've got a few more good years in me, I'd say. And I mean, obviously, I want to go back to the Amazon jungle. I have some projects there that I want to to do. So I really want to be, I, I have a whole thing. I had a whole thing planned out before the pandemic hit. I was going to do it in 2020. So, uh, but also I want to go back to Ellesmere. And you know what? I wish I had that private friggin' jet. Because let me tell you, it's insanely expensive to get up there. <laughs> Right, it's insane. So, and then you got to rely on the twin otter to pick you up at the end. That is not cheap, my friend, to get the twin otter to come pick you up up there. So, you know, Arctic expeditions are really expensive to do. So, but I, but Ellesmere is a place that I, that I really loved. It was amazing, and to be there with my buddy Kevin, we've done a game. Kevin and I went to the South Pole together, and we've done a lot of stuff together. Went across Lake Baikal in Siberia together in 2010, unsupported. I mean, we've done some neat stuff. And so this was a really, a really big passion project, you know? I mean, once, so. once Nat Geo picks me up to uh, do some cinematography or whatever it might be, uh, I'm there. You might be I love it. It You're, might be a few years. Get your so. winter jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, you you know more people with private jets than I do, and I'm no, in fine. So. I'm in fine. You're fine. You're <laughs> so, you're like, so once again, you're in character. You're like a Wolves of Wall Street guy. <laughs> no, <laughs> I I can only dream. Uh, I well, let's change the subject really quick here. Um, <laughs> uh, this is why I enjoy talking to you. I. You know, I don't think the listener knows Ray the person well enough. I mean, what is it like on a daily basis to be a dad? And you have some really, really talented kids. Like, can you just share just a glimpse into that? Because your kids are crushing the trails. Like, they're super talented. And and just tell me more about that, being a dad. Well, it's funny. I mean, trail running for them, you know, they've been doing it ever since they were babies because we live on the trails and that's what we do as a family. We go trail running, hiking, fast packing, whatever. No different than other families that are into these outdoor sort of things. But now the girls, I mean, trail running is like a distant second, third to their other, <laughs> to their other sports. Like they do spring kayak and spring canoe in the summer so if you're you know if you're watching the olympics and you see like they're in the summer olympics, there like, for canada i'm pretty well, sure you know, if you but if you to know what sport i'm talking about when it, really the only time the sports are visible is like during the olympic and they're those really skinny canoes like they're super insanely tippy dude like these boats <laughs> these friggin' boats do not sit on the water like like upright they 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 lilt to one side so you have to balance it with your core, you're basically looking at your carbon core? fiber. Yeah, you're using your core wow. and pal- and technique to balance these things. Like it's crazy. So anyhow, they're right into that. And they, in the winter, uh, are big into biathlon, which is shooting and skiing. And so they, they, they love these sports. So I'm very proud of them that they've taken on and done these things. I post about them all the time, obviously, because I'm super proud of them. But they do these things because they love to do them. And we have sort of um, a rule in our house. Every, every parent has good times and bad times. We still get <laughs> meltdowns. You know the meltdowns. We still don't get drop, meltdowns. Don't drop you know? dad on the trail. Rule well, number they, one. Okay, so, listen, <laughs> Sorry. I mean, the, the, trail, the trail running is just 
forget it. I, you know, I take my GoPro out when we go trail running and I try to film them and it's just, it's just, turns into a ridiculous mess. First of all, they don't like it when I'm running behind them and I'm, and I'm trying to film them cause I never get it right. You know, like I always, there's always something wrong. Like I, you know, I like the, the cameras, I get home and I'm like, Hey, I was filming you guys while we were running and I show them and it's just like the woods. They're not even in the like dad in the frame. They're like, dad, what are you doing? You know, like seriously, why do you even bother? So now it's at a point where when we go running, they're running so much faster than I, it's very uncomfortable for me. So I can't really hold the GoPro. So it's like, I don't 90% of the time. I don't even do it anymore. That's it was like just me. Not, it's, it's like, like me I, filming these elite athletes. Like, good lord! Shaking all over. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, at any rate, so but we we do a lot of the family together, and um, but we have a rule, and the rule is if we're not having fun doing this, we're not going out. Like, we're not doing it. Nice. And you know, every parent has you know ups and downs, and good days and bad days, and blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, they have to love the stuff that they're doing, and we're not going to do it. Thank you. Know, you. That's simple. So they they're into it. They love this. They're they're independent. I mean, paddling is not what Kathy and I do at all. And they are. I mean, we have races every weekend. We were just at the Olympic Basin in Montreal last weekend, and my oldest daughter Mia was racing all weekend. So they're totally have these goals that they set their own goals on what they want to do, and we just support it. You know, it's beautiful. No, I, I, life's too short. That's, I feel like an old, like an old dad who's like, oh, children, life's too short. Got it. Like, we got to enjoy this. Um, but I mean, it's well, refreshing it's totally, to hear. You know, I, I have to say, like, I mean, I honestly I was talking to a buddy of mine this morning. We were having coffee together and he's like an amazing ultra runner, this guy. But he um, has, he's not racing anymore. He's not doing, he's just super busy with his, his kids. But his son is like, he might make it to the NHL. I mean, this kid is an amazing hockey player. And they spent so much time at hockey. And, he, and I said, well, because it's much different than me going to paddling race or a cross-country ski race or whatever. Like, I mean, I get to be outside. I'm with a bunch of other parents whose kids are doing the same thing. Most of our families have a lot in common. You're hanging out, whatever. You're outside, right? And I'm like, what's it? Like, you know what? sitting in arenas and stuff like that. He's like, dude, he said, I get so much satisfaction out of watching my kids do what they love to do. And I said, you know what? I, I totally feel the same way. And so it's this transitionary phase that, you know, parents, I mean, you know, some of us go through, right? Where you just, you're not necessarily living vicariously through your kids. That would not be good or healthy probably. But you're like stoked to see them sort of become their own identity. I think right? it's do their own thing. It, you, know? you know what you describe is, and I totally get this and every parent listening is probably like, yes. Um, it's like empathy, but it's like on a different level. I don't have the vocabulary to explain it, but it, I totally understand um, how you're explaining it. It's like, it's like empathy times 10. Uh, like if, if everyone felt that way about everyone, the world would be nearly perfect, honestly. Like being so happy, sincerely happy for someone else's joy in someone else's life is like, God, if we could just bottle that up and 
apply yeah, that to everyone. The good thing is, is in the trail running community, and you know this from doing your races, it's very much like that. It's kind of, that's kind of like the trail culture, right? Like totally. there's no sport, there's no sport really other than, well, I'm sure there's other sports that are like this. And, and I have seen it with the paddling and the cross country skiing, but in trail running, it's just amazing how everyone is there cheering for everyone else and supporting everyone else. I think that's so great. Whether you're first or you're 500, that doesn't matter, you know? doesn't really matter so totally. i think it makes this it is a special part of the sport for sure what does ray have for breakfast do you eat much breakfast are you just coffee guy no, do you no, i just coffee with I, you don't have the coconut oil in my coffee i love it i started doing Thank that you. on arctic expedition yes i started doing that on arctic expedition and like then i secret. like many years ago and then i just was like you know what i think i'm gonna do this every day now <laughs> so that's just what i did it has to be the sweet coconut not the not the like the overly processed one in my opinion but, so i just get the regular like you know whatever it is from you know the organic coconut oil cold pressed whatever you know i like Put it there, i like it's great um do you have a special diet well or do you that's just a complicated eat- question because I have certain things with my, you know, over the years, with my health and stuff. So yes, I'm very careful about what I eat. I mean, just tell me a little bit more. I don't judge anyone. I've tried every diet ever. Like no, I just, I just, I, I like, like so I guess you could say I eat more like a Mediterranean style diet. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. much how I eat. You know? So like a little bit higher fat is okay. Well, I eat because, a ton of fat. Okay. Yeah, I just I eat a ton of fat. Yeah. It's just, I'm half Lebanese too, so I like Lebanese food, right? So I nice. make a lot of that stuff like that, and um, I just, you know, I, it works for me. You know, you find what works for you, and that's what you roll with. Exactly. You know, uh, if if you find eating vegan, raw vegan works for you, then that is what you do. If you find being um, like a keto person works for you, then you do that. You do whatever works for you. I I, 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 I love interestingly, it. I do adapt my nutrition for the expeditions that I'm going on. So if I'm going on an Arctic unsupported Arctic expedition, especially a long unsupported expedition, that means I'm carrying mainly in my sled 40 days of food and it will be primarily fat calories because fat, as you know, is nine calories per gram. So therefore it's lighter. And so, uh, I bring, I, I adapt to a very high fat diet low lower carbohydrate very high fat diet in as i'm preparing for an arctic expedition then for the desert expeditions i lean more towards a balance of calories similar to like eating like a mediterranean style diet interesting that's really interesting i i kind of like subconsciously like during certain parts of a training block will like shift my diet but i'm not like consciously like writing it out it's like my wife will make tacos and it's like well what are we gonna make in the tacos is it vegan like black bean or or like where are we going with them and it honestly every tuesday is kind of a good way to market because if it's so like let me get this right. you're not making the tacos but yet you're standing there complaining Oh, I don't. I never complain about it's Chrissy's down. cooking. It's, Chrissy, it's Chrissy, my my wife in Ohio would burn everything, and she was trying hard, and I, I respected it. We moved to Colorado, six thousand, six thousand two hundred feet, roughly, you know, in between, and uh, her cooking, whatever the altitude, 
affects like the oven and everything. <laughs> she became a gourmet chef overnight. It's beautiful. I'm not going to complain ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious too, which is like kind of the most funny part of that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So you don't do any of the cooking then? I take it. No, I I do. She she really um takes satisfaction in that aspect and then you know we have a four-year-old and seven-year-old and like making sure they get healthy food is is like a big priority for us and i'm not i'm not gonna get in her way like she she really i think she's kind of grown um since we've moved here and her cooking's like excelled like she takes pride in it and i Trust me, I support it, if it all the way. If it was left up to you, all if it was left up to you, it would just be like hot dogs, nachos, and cheese. <laughs> 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 hey kids, what's for dinner? I know how to make like oh. five. I I know how to make like five things, like miso soup. I can make miso soup that tastes like you're at the restaurant, like in sushi and like a few other things, like pizza. Um, I know how to make five things really well. Where like that's all I know, so I I can cook well if I want to. Um, I like to I like to allow creativity and and you know that passion to take hold with my wife personally. So like she really loves it. Do you have time for TV? Do you like actually relax and like read a book? Like what is Ray doing after a big project? Kids had a great day of racing or whatever it is how do you relax yeah i mean you know what my oldest she's 14 now i mean she's talking to her friends she's you know like i mean everybody's family's always on the go um you know my wife kathy with her job she's a consultant in uh gender uh uh, gender-based uh consulting and as well with environment and so her clients are all over the world so she could be working at any time right on the computer like zoom whatever yeah and uh so i mean we just try to hang out like it, dinner is a big hangout time for our family because it's when we um you know my wife has said i mean this is kathy said this is like the one time of day where we're all gonna like hang out right and and talk and et cetera et cetera because everybody's always going for you it's place. beautiful it so, feels forced sometimes but it's beautiful yeah, right you just got to do it you got to do it because if you don't like then life just gets completely crazy and then um you know i would say tv you know i watch the news and stuff i i don't watch every now and then like I, you know we'll watch netflix or uh, itunes or whatever uh apple tv but i just I just don't I, but it, as much as I'd like to every now and then we'll have a show on or something, but it's not sort of a constant. I don't know what the right word is. You know? Yeah. But I mean, what's, what's uh, your favorite book? Favorite book. You know, my favorite book I've read. We're going to go one oh one amateur interview question. <laughs> hey Ray, what's your favorite book? <laughs> no, I, 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 there's a lot of books that I like, but I, one that I read recently, well, recently, it's one that I read a few years ago, but it really, I just thought it was amazing. It's The Secret Life of Trees, or is it, I don't know if it said that. It, I might be getting the title wrong, but it's something like 
secret life of trees, like how trees can communicate with each other. It's it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. What? Yeah, Are you yeah. serious? I'm totally serious. Like, there's one story in the book where, like, acacia trees in Africa, where giraffes will go to a stand of acacia trees and they start eating the leaves. And they'll, they'll like decimate the trees, right? Like, there's no leaves left. So these trees release a chemical pheromone that sends a signal to an adjacent set of trees that the leaves are being eaten. So the adjacent set of trees releases a bitter, a bitter uh, flavor or whatever into their wow. leaves. And then the giraffes move on and spare those trees. What? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something I, like that. You gotta I read it. feel like that was in a movie, but it wasn't on Earth. Wow. No, you gotta, you That's, gotta see it. That's yeah, amazing. You gotta read it. You gotta read I, it. I, I actually it will. I will. That's that's amazing. It doesn't take long to read. It's a great book. I mean, what am I missing about you, Ray? Last question. I want to flip it and and ask you to ask or tell something about you that I have never asked you about that's an integral part of your life. Like what what am I missing? We've talked, we've texted. We've chatted as I've driven to Moab to crew people. Like, I I truly am thankful and enjoy every conversation we have. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. I'm um, trying to think of something a little bit. What, what am I missing? I Is there something uh, beyond, uh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio type stuff that. I don't, I don't <laughs> you know, I, I can't think of anything like off the, you know, just. It, it, you know, straight up thing. I would say that you know, it, the older I get, that the longer I've been around doing these things that I've done, it, it you know, my perspective on everything has changed over the years. You know, in this world that we both exist in, this adventure and trail running and all this jazz, this world, and my perspective on you know the experiences that I've had which there's been so many and so many people that I've met and, you know, 20,000 kilometers that I've spent on my feet doing these expeditions. And the reasons for why I continue to do the things that I do. And it's really interesting how your perspective in life can change, you know, and that you start to figure out after a while that really, like, we each have our own sort of, philosophy or something we come up with but really at the end of the day just being happy with what you do and truly being happy with oneself you know like being satisfied with who you are and being happy with yourself honestly happy not just saying that words because they sound good and all motivationally being able to look at yourself in the mirror and being able to say you know what i'm happy but if you can do that like it's like winning the lottery you know, and I think that that's something that I've learned in all this stuff. It's beautiful. It's all yeah. relative, right? Just like you had mentioned earlier, it's like what makes you happy might make me miserable and vice versa. And sincere, like when you look in the mirror and being sincerely happy is is everything. No money can ever buy that. No, exactly. exactly. I, I love it. Ray. As always, stay in touch. Um, you got it. I, I, I want to know about your next project. 
you know, I, I highly recommend if you're listening to this podcast, if you've been a long time listener, reach out to your school district, say, Hey, I know this, uh, raise I have guy, he's doing like this really cool project. It probably won't cost the school much. If anything, maybe we can try to integrate him into our curriculum if possible. Ray is amazing. He's selfless. Uh, he's he's done some seriously amazing things. I can't wait to see what he does next. So, Ray, thank you, as always, for joining me. Thanks for being such a good bud. I, I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, buddy. Right back at you. And I uh, can't wait to be on again some point soon. Thank you. All right, man. And that was the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big shout out to you Patreon supporters. Thank you to Exoskin, Tannery Outdoors, and most importantly, don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a great week.